Welcome to the Maximum Ballplayers Podcast, brought to you by Max BP, with your host, Ross Lilly. Thanks for joining us today on the Max BP Podcast. This is Coach Ross, joined by Kevin Graber, the head baseball coach at Phillips Academy Andover in Andover, Massachusetts. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Awesome. Hey, so so real quick, Kevin, uh, tell us where you currently live and how are you involved in baseball these days? Yeah, so I am the Senior Associate Director of Admission and Varsity Baseball Coach at a boarding school called Phillips Academy Andover. We're roughly 20 miles north of Boston, and it's a boarding school meeting. You know, we're, we're a high school, but the students live here on campus like they would on a college campus. So our enrollment is right around 1,140 students, and we have students from 50 states and 47 countries. And 95% of our faculty live on campus here with the students, including my wife and I and our three kids. So when you live where you work, especially in a school community, you, know, you get to do a lot of different things. So I get to run a dorm. I'm an academic advisor. Uh, I teach a class. I'm the advisor to the 10th grade class. And, of course, what brings me to the podcast is I'm the head coach of uh, Phillips Academy and over Big Blue Baseball. So that's uh, a big part of what I do during the school year. And uh, during the summer, I do a little bit of scouting as an associate scout for the New York Yankees. And I also coach the 15U team for a travel baseball program called the New England Roughnecks. Wow, Kevin, how, how do you keep up with that busy schedule? Man, well, it helps when you live where you work. So it's not like I'm, uh, I'm commuting <laughs> back and forth from the house. I mean, I stumble out of, out of bed and I'm, you know, 100 yards away from my office. And, you know, the dining commons is right there where we have all our meals. And the dorm that I run is right there. And all the kids I work with live here on campus. And my colleagues all live here as well. So it's like one-stop shopping for everything that I get to do. That's awesome. So uh, you must have an incredible story to end up where you are today. Give us a breakdown of your history with baseball and how you got to be in the position you're currently in. Yeah, I guess, Ross, I'll, I'll do my best to give it a spark notes version. That's one of the great things about baseball and the people that you meet is the incredible stories that people have. And my story is sort of a circuitous one because, you know, I played college baseball at the Division One level at Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and I played my last two years at the College of St. Rose, which is a Division II school in my hometown of Albany, New York. And that was so I could be a little bit closer to my family. Unfortunately, during my senior year playing at the College of St. Rose, I was diagnosed with lymph node cancer in May of 1992, uh, right before the playoffs started that season. So instead of playing in the playoffs and, you know, I had hopes of being drafted that June, um, I was in the hospital, um, you know, with six months of chemotherapy treatments and then three months of radiation treatments and a bunch of surgeries and stuff like that. Um, so that was a little bit of a difficult pill to swallow, especially for a 21 year old kid. Nevertheless, you know, I still had the dream of playing baseball. So, you know, I coached a Legion team, you know, I took a, a job coaching California junior college baseball at Lassen college in Susanville, California, up in the Sierra Nevada mountains. You know, I managed a college summer league team called the Electric City Giants and the Mountains Collegiate Baseball League. Um, and I just started to feel more healthy and being out in the sunshine and being on the field. And I was taking BP and ground balls because you know, I was a middle infielder. And, Ross, I got the opportunity um, through great fortune to play overseas in Australia. And uh, so that was my entry back into you know, being a baseball player. And some years had gone by. I'm in my mid-20s then. But I had an amazing experience playing overseas in Australia. And it was enough experience to sign my first minor league contract here in the United States. 
So I did the wow. independent ball thing for years. You know, I signed with the Southern Minnesota Stars of the Prairie League of Professional Baseball, and I played for a couple seasons. Um, unfortunately, I had some health setbacks reoccur. And when that happened, it was clear I couldn't play anymore. Then I got my first managing job in professional baseball. For the next bunch of years, you know, I managed throughout the independent minor leagues, including the Southern Minnesota Stars, the Prairie League of Professional Baseball, the Adirondack Lumberjacks, and the Northeast League of Professional Baseball. Um, at that point, my wife and I started having children, and you know, 120 games on a bus wasn't conducive to being an awesome parent. So, I switched gears and I started. Uh, I switched gears and I started working on college campuses. And so that part of my career brought me to, you know, the University of West Alabama. I worked there for two years, and my family and I were there. And then I coached at Amherst College in Amherst, Massachusetts, a little Division three school, amazing program, amazing college from 2000 through 2008. While there, I got my master's degree in education at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and I parlayed that into the opportunity to come here at Phillips Academy in Andover. So, how was that for the Spark Notes version? Wow, and that's an incredible story. Uh, going back <laughs> yeah. to your senior year when when you were diagnosed with cancer, um, yeah. Tell us what what was that like? What were you feeling? And uh, how did how did your upbringing and and maybe uh, potentially even um, you know your parents and and your friends and family. How did everybody help you through that time? Well, I think any kid who's 21 years old feels like they're invincible. Um, you know, you sort of, the, the world is your oyster. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're dealt this, this hand that, you know, one of the hardest things for me was I had always identified myself as an athlete, as a baseball player. And now all of a sudden I'm not a baseball player. It's like, well, who am I? And now I have this new identity of, of cancer patient. And it's just, it can be a lot that I, that, that switch in how you identify yourself and having to figure that whole thing out. Right. But the fact, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, what would my career have been like had I not had that challenge? And looking back, I think the fact that I did have that challenge, you know, that sort of made it all, you know, a little more important, a little more worthwhile. You know, I have a story that's pretty cool to tell. And, you know, I had to be pretty resilient. I learned some pretty valuable life lessons by having to overcome some stuff to be able to play baseball. Right. Now, would you say that some of the lessons you learned growing up being an athlete, did that help you through that, that real world situation of having cancer? Absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, one of the reasons you play baseball is because it's hard. <laughs> I mean, if it was easy, everybody would do it. There's so much failure in baseball. I mean, you know, you, you make an out seven out of every 10 times at bat. I know it's cliche, but you're a pretty good hitter. And so, you know, you got to be tough. You got to compete. Um, you know, I had coaches in my lives who were great influences on me. And now I had doctors in my lives who were great influences on me. So, and I was a great team player when I was in ICU and I was having chemotherapy. I was only looking around to my left and right to see who needed my help and who needed, you know, to have a pep talk. And, you know, I always wanted to think of it as a journey that I was taking with other cancer patients. In addition, it just it being my own journey. So all of that came from my experience as an athlete and a baseball player. Well, so that being said, uh, baseball obviously has had a huge impact on your life. You've been a player, coach, and everything in between. Do uh, you have a favorite thing about the sport? Well, you know, I would say my favorite thing about the sport is base running <laughs> and <laughs> ways we can put the game back in the hands of the players. You know, I just, over the weekend, I was a feature presenter at the World Baseball Coaches Convention at Mohegan Sun Casino and Resort in Connecticut. And one of the two presentations that I gave, you know, I titled it Backyard Baseball 2.0. It was 2.0 because I gave a presentation last year called just Backyard Baseball. 
And what I mean by backyard baseball is, you know, when I grew up, I grew up in Albany, New York, across the street from the New York State Training Academy, where they train all the prison guards for the state of New York. And in the back of the training academy, they have a sandlot, sandlot style baseball diamond. And there it was me and my friends against you and your friends. And we just played baseball. No adults, no coaches, no umpires. You know, if I wanted to make a hard turn at first base and get in a rundown, like I did that. If I want to steal second base, like I did that. I think today's kids don't do that anymore. Today's baseball playing kids are more about, I'm going to go down to the, the indoor facility down the road to take hitting lessons from my hitting guru. Well, I'm going to play for this travel baseball outfit that costs $3,000 for the summer. And we don't really practice. We just go and play games. And what kids have lost the ability to do is to make baseball plays. They're kind of like robots. They only do what the coach, you know, what the sign he gives tells them to do. And so our system of baseball that we play here, play here at Andover is all about putting the game back into the hands of the players. You know, an, an example of that, Ross, is when we, have a runner, when we have a runner on second base, that runner has the green light to steal third base without a sign from the coach. But three things have yeah. to fall in place. Three things fall into place, timing, distance, and anticipation. And if those three things fall into place, you go for it. No coach telling you to do it. You know, if you have it, you take it. But you have to be able to teach it. You have to have the drill work because we got to give the kids the tools to be able to make plays on their own because they're not doing that so much when they grow up playing baseball anymore. So that's something I'm really passionate about with the game today. Wow, that's cool. Wow. Um, it's very evident, um, you know, with the enthusiasm of which you talk about the sport, uh, that you love the game. Did you have a key baseball influence in your life growing up or, or even after when, as an adult? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the adult influence. And that is, um, you know, I was working at the University of West Alabama. My wife and I and our oldest daughter, Katie, were there for two years. And then I, and, and at that point, I had two job offers. One was at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. And the other one was at this small liberal arts college in um, Amherst, Massachusetts, called Amherst College. And I did some research, and I found out that the head coach at Amherst College was this guy named Bill Thurston, who, when all was said and done, he had been there for 44 seasons. And when I arrived, it was like season 38 or something like that. And Bill is a legend. I mean, he's an American Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Famer. He was chair of the NCAA Rules Committee. He worked as a consultant with Dr. James Andrews at the American Sports Medicine Institute as a consultant. And together, they pioneered biomechanical analysis of the pitching motion. And so, Ross, I chose Amherst College, and I was there 2000 through 2008. And I followed Coach Thurston around until I could literally regurgitate everything he would ever say on the topic of baseball. <laughs> Wow. Amazing. What an amazing experience. Uh, with that being said, you know, I'm sure you learned a ton from Coach Thurston there. Um, what do you find is the most rewarding thing about coaching and training players? You know, that's been a journey for me, Ross. You know, when I managed in professional baseball, I was actually the youngest manager in all professional baseball when I got my first managing job. I was 27 years old. Um, and at the time, everybody from the ownership to the general manager to mentors that I had, said, here's what you need to do to be a young manager or just a manager in general professional baseball. You need to have the mantra friendly but not familiar. Like there needed to be a separation. Like I'm the boss and you do what I say. I am the authority. And gradually I started to learn that that wasn't really the best approach for me. You know, and especially now working at the high school level and coaching kids. Like these are teenage boys that I get to work with. And, you know, yeah. my mantra has, go has gone from friendly but not familiar to now my mantra is they don't care how much I know unless they know how much I care. 
And so, you know, for me, it's not only the baseball stuff, but like check-ins with the guys over breakfast or lunch in the cafeteria, you know, team meals at our house here on campus, you know, s'mores roasts in my backyard, you know, popsicles after practice, you know, there's no separation between my family and this baseball program. You know, they, you know, I have kids doing homework at my kitchen table every night. My wife's only scrambling eggs or serving kids ice cream. And it's just been such a game changer for me. For one thing, for my mental health, because I wake up in my whole mission of like, who needs my help today? And it's just very fulfilling. It helps me, you know, when, when my head hits the pillow and I feel like I've done a good job today. But it's also just a lot more fun. And the relationships that I have with these players now is much better, much more fulfilling, and much better for them than the relationships I sort of didn't have with the players when I managed in professional baseball. Yeah. Sounds like baseball paradise. It's pretty cool. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> Um, so, so there at, at the the school that you're currently at in Massachusetts, um, Phillips Academy Andover, have you guys had some some players from the school go on to play college or professional ball? Yeah, in fact, recently, pretty much our entire graduating classes have gone on to play college baseball, and you know we're a we're an extremely rigorous academic institution. So that being the case, you know we have. Two guys on the roster at Princeton University, you know, the starting shortstop at Brown University came through our program. You know, we have three players on the current roster, um, on the roster at Georgetown University. Um, you know, we have two guys that came through University of Pennsylvania. Those are all Ivy League schools. And then we right. have sort of outliers, like our, our current 11th grade shortstop is committed to Notre Dame. You know, our, our, another midfielder is committed to Dartmouth in the Ivy League. Um, our center fielder is committed to Duke University. Uh, we got another guy at Texas A&M. So we, we've become a bit of a brand name with where our kids are going off and playing college baseball. Must be incredible seeing all these kids, like you talked about them, uh, being a part of your family, doing their homework at your kitchen table, and then to go and, and see them experience that kind of success. How rewarding is that? Well, you know, another cool thing about my job, Ross, is, you know, again, we're a boarding school and we have kids from 50 states and 46 or 47 countries. And I am a dean in our office of admission and me and my colleagues in our office of admission during the fall, we actually travel extensively uh, to help families and kids understand what this opportunity is to come to school here. So some of my travel, I get to match up with where our guys are playing college baseball. So for instance, I was in Washington, D.C. doing some admissions travel, and while I was there, I got to watch our guys practice at Georgetown and took them out for dinner. And so, um, you know, I try to sort of mesh my travel for admissions sometimes with where are our guys out there, and I, go, I like to go yeah. holler at them, take them out, take them out for a bite to eat. That's so much fun. That's great. Well, you've seen it firsthand, Coach. What do you feel it takes in this day and age to become a collegiate and or professional ball player? Well, on the pro side, uh, I guess for pitchers, you know, it really seems to be a quest for velocity nowadays, Russ. So advancements in strength training, biomechanical analysis, the pitching motion, you know, weighted balls, analytics, spin rate. You know, it seems like much of baseball is headed in that direction, it seems. And, you know, back in the day, you know, your hard throwers were kind of your hard throwers and they came by it naturally. Now there seems to be a, a blueprint where kids can find velocity that maybe wouldn't have found that velocity in past years. So on the pitching side, it seems to be a race for velocity, which is kind of new. Um, in a more mm -hmm. general sense, in a more general sense from my experience, I think, you know, mentally, just the ability to handle the grind of playing 140 games, you know, bus rides, competition against other players in your organization, and you're all vying for upward mobility. You know, it's not for everyone. For players who pay attention to acquiring that, that mental approach to coping with those challenges, 
it just they're at a they're at an advantage. Um, you know, everything else being equal, because you know that that's challenging, man. That's why it's not like you know high school baseball when you get the pro ball, man. It's it is a grind. Yeah. Wow. So so uh, that being said, um, we pride ourselves at Max BP on on training athletes through their vision, through their uh, you know physical traits and uh, muscle memory and things of that nature. And then also the mental game, which you, you just talked about how important it is to, to be able to handle that grind. Uh, can you tell us a little bit how you came across Max BP Reaction Training? Sure thing, Ross. It was a web search, actually. And, you know, two things I'm always cognizant of are safety and space. The safety, in fact, the safety factor is important for me because, you know, I want our kids to be able to get swings even when I'm not around. But I worry about a kid's ability to sort of stay behind an L screen and keep keep himself safe, you know, while throwing BP, especially when I'm not yeah. there to supervise. And, and here's the thing about baseball that I found, you know, injuries are, are sort of infrequent in baseball. You know, it's not like football where guys are getting carted off the field all the time. But when they do happen in baseball, man, they can be gnarly, like blood, yeah. bitches, bones, that kind of thing, or perhaps even worse. And that's the great thing about Max uh, BP. It feeds small plastic wiffle balls that are as safe as can be, yet the reps are every bit as valuable as they would be if you were using real baseballs. Um, and the space factor is important because oftentimes, especially at the high school level, especially in our part of the country, the challenge is to maximize a small space. You know, for us, we have a small yet awesome, like little hitting space indoors in what used to be a squash court. And squash is a big New England thing. You know, if you're not familiar with it, um, it's a sport similar to racquetball. So it's about the same size court. Everybody seems to know what racquetball is. And Max BP is perfect for that small space because, you know, it's with small wiffle balls, you know, the ricochet factor isn't a danger like it would be with hard balls in, in a small enclosed space. So for me, you know, safety and space, those are two great things about Max BP. Now, Coach, recently you had a, you had a little scare yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so you can even be in danger when you're outside a hitting tunnel because, you know, batted balls sometimes hit one of those nets and they don't drop dead. Sometimes the net goes with the ball. So I happened to be walking around the backside of a tunnel and I line drive hit the back of the net, which, you know, hit me in the eye. And, uh, you know, I took a nice ding to the nose. Um, not the first time I've broken my nose and hopefully it'll last, but, you know, hey, it, so, you know, when I talk about safety and space, you know, I know from personal experience how valuable those things can be. Absolutely. And if that was a, a Max BP mini Whipple ball, you would have walked away from that one, wouldn't you? I would have giggled. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So tell us, uh, since you guys have implemented Max BP into your regimen, do you have uh, any favorite hitting drills that you guys are using? Yes. You know, I love T-work. I love soft toss. You know, I grew up doing both of those things in my garage at home. But for me, there's no substitute for a hitter seeing the ball and getting swings at a pitch coming from him in front of him as it would from the pitcher's mound. So much different, so much more valuable, I think, than hitting off a tee or taking side toss. Because, you know, we want to mac we wanna sort of, you know, mimic what it is to see the ball coming from in front of you. Um, before we had max DP, you know, all our hitters could do when working out alone was hit off a tee. Now they can set up the max DP machine. It has that auto feeder functionality and they can hit all day long with the ball coming directly in front of them, even if they don't have a partner. And, and again, it's just really, really safe. So it's not a, a fancy drill as much as it is like they can hit in a way that's so much better than just tee or toss. 
Right. And, and like you said, unlimited reps hitting all day long. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Have you guys implemented the max VP for any fielding drills to date? Well, actually, I was in, inspired by some Max VP YouTube videos that I watched before we ordered the product. So now we use it a lot with our catchers, which I don't know if I, I would have thought of that if I hadn't seen the videos. And they'll do bare hand receiving drills in which the challenge is to, you know, sort of catch the small wiffle balls between the thumb and forefinger. And we'll make a game out of it. Like, who can get the most clean repetitions in a row? And it's just a lot of fun and a nice change of pace from the same old receiving drills that catchers do everywhere else. Yeah. Now, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, Kevin, but yeah. you talked about how enthusiastic you are about base running and how uh, you take pride in, in your, your players being excellent base runners that uh, know situations and, and know when to, when to steal a bag, when not to, situational yeah. stuff. Uh, do you feel that there's any way you could use Max BP for base running drills? Yeah, I do. You know, one thing that we're doing all the time is we're doing ball and dirt reads. And, you know, a great thing about max VP is, you know, you can change the distance so that it's hitting the catcher, you know, waist high. And you can also change the distance so that it's, you know, it simulates a ball and dirt. And one of the things about our program is we are a blind ball and dirt read team, which means we don't wait till ball hits dirt. We're trying to read it before the ball hits the dirt. And we don't care if yeah. the catcher blocks it. We don't care if you control it. We don't care about anything. It's a math equation for us. Yeah. You know, think of all the things the catcher has to do successfully. He's got to block it. He's got to control it. He's got to get up out of his, off his knees. He's got to scoop it up cleanly. He's got to make a strong throw to second base. There's got to be someone covering. They have to have a clean catch and a clean tag. And all we have to do is read it and run to second base. So we'll take that yeah. math equation all the time because there's 15 things they have to do and one thing we have to do. So using max BP for those ball and dirt reads, that's, that's, that's really valuable. And that's one of the things about baseball in the Northeast is we can't always get out on our field, but we can always find a hallway where we can practice base running. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, another thing that to, to mention is, you know, the, if you have the max BP on the tripod, of course, you're able to tilt, to tilt that pitch, uh, you know, up yep. and down. So yep. I think that'd be perfect for that drill. You know, if you had a kid, you know, maybe you give him two or three pitches, and then on the fourth one, you tilt it down, it's in the dirt, and then he's able to anticipate and take that extra base. That's a great drill, great idea. Oh, Love it. Yeah, totally. And the other thing is, um, you know, typically I'm the pitcher, and I'm throwing the balls in dirt using tennis balls or something like that. Mm -hmm. This allows me to do that, and I, I sort of have one hand on the machine, but I also have my eyes on the base runner and how those drills are going. Yeah, yeah, totally. You can kind of have your, your attention is elsewhere and you're saving your arm at the same time, right? <laughs> well, my arm, I don't need it anymore, but <laughs> my playing days are over. Yeah. Um, so everything being said that we've talked about, do you feel that Max BP is a game changer? Yeah, I do. Um, for me, you know, some of the improvements that we've seen are hand-eye coordination, really, because you know, max BP balls are intentionally smaller than regulation baseball, so there's a nice challenge in that. Um, you know, squaring up a smaller ball, you know, and, and once you get good at squaring those small balls up, you know, which our guys have gotten really good at through repetition, it can make regulation baseballs look kind of like beach balls, which is kind of fun. And, 
you know, also just simply because we can do more now with max BP than we could before we bought max BP, you know, no one to hit with no problem. You can hit by yourself versus the max BP machine, you know, snowing outside, no problem hit indoors with the max BP. And it's so affordable. Like I think every program, especially programs in the Northeast should have at least one of these things. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. The, the tough to beat that ability to train indoors or outdoors. And, you know, a lot of times, you try to train indoors with a hardball, you're going to be breaking stuff. Like we talked about the possibility for serious injury. Uh, but with max BP, you can get those reps in the cold winter months. Um, you know, with, and it's, you're still doing it in a safe manner. So I think that, that's a really good yeah. point. Yeah. Our students so, arrive here and our students arrive here in September and they can hit in our outdoor tunnel, but the outdoor tunnel comes down October 31st because if yeah. snowfall hits and the snow's laying on that tunnel, it's just, it'll damage it beyond repair. And, right. you know, then the question is like, all right, I still want to hit, but like, what am I going to do? And this has just been a great option for us. Excellent. Switching gears a little bit here, coach. Um, yeah. If you could be any ball player, past or present, who would it be and why? Oh, Ross, what a fun question. Um, oh man, who wouldn't want to be Babe Ruth? Uh, you know, that might be that might be one of those, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for scenarios because he was such a larger than life character and a man of such prodigious appetites, which wasn't always a great thing for the babe. But I think also like maybe Jackie Robinson would be another cool one because he played such a crucial role in American history. You know, although you'd have to be mighty strong to endure all that Jackie Robinson was able to endure during that time. So I don't know, maybe yeah. one of those maybe maybe I get a chance to be one and then the other. I don't know. Hey, those are great choices. And, and like you said, uh, especially with Jackie, that what he endured uh, for the greater good of the sport, uh, take a special human being to, to step into those shoes. But everything you've been through, I'm, I'm guessing you can handle it, Coach. <laughs> I don't know. Jackie <laughs> Robinson is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. All-time, all-time great hero, sports or not, right? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he 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 sort of uh, transcends baseball. I mean, he's he's a he's a, a, a figure in U.S. history for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, coach. So this is kind of the the last segment here of the interview. Um, yeah. This is the rapid fire part. Maybe oh, answer in a, yeah, answer maybe in a single word or a, even a sentence or two. What's yeah, your I'm favorite baseball team? I'm not great at single word, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. Favorite, you get, you get some <laughs> All right, favorite baseball team. Well, I grew up in upstate New York in a Yankees household, but we've lived in Massachusetts since 2000, and our, our children have been brainwashed by teachers, classmates, and babysitters to like all the Boston sports teams. So I'm, I'm kind of a Red Sox fan, but, you know, come playoff time, I always get those, those inner Yankees feelings that bubble to the surface yeah. in a way that surprised me a little bit. Okay, I like it. Uh, do you prefer DH or pitcher's hit? You know, one year when I managed in pro balls in the Northeast League and the pitchers hit in that league. And I actually, like, when I watch baseball, I actually like watching pitchers hit and the challenges it presents with managing a game. And I actually like stuff like the double switch. It's kind of like, I don't know, baseball manager as scientist in a really cool way. I just, I just like those those nuances of the National League game. Yes. A little more strategy involved there, right? Yeah, for sure. Do you feel that the baseball is juiced? <laughs> what a great question. I don't know, man. You know, with the advancement in strength training, the, the players are really, really strong nowadays. 
And man, the pitchers are all throwing a hundred miles an hour as well. So I, I think maybe, <laughs> you know, just the advancements in strength training with the players more than the balls being juiced. Yeah. What is the biggest misconception in present day baseball? Um, that it's easy, you know, I, and what I mean by that is I wish I had a dime for every like men's leaguer that I've played with or who I've seen or heard having a conversation who thinks like he could play at that level. <laughs> that always cracks me up. Oh, I could hit, I could hit 200 in the big leagues. It's like, no, you couldn't. <laughs> Those guys are so good. So good. Yeah. That's hilarious. I like that. Okay. Last one, coach. Fearless prediction for the 2020 baseball season. Oh, these are great questions. Fearless prediction for the 2020 baseball season is that there will be no more technology-aided sign stealing, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's some, there's some, serious, some serious cautionary tales out there with what's happening with the Astros and the Red Sox organization. So probably pretty safe to say if they are stealing signs, it's going to be, I don't know, I'll have to figure something else out. Yeah, uh, that's a great answer. Uh, and kind of follow-up with that answer uh, you're a leader of, of young men, and you're you know constantly trying to teach life life lessons. What's right from wrong? Do you feel because the punishment came out yesterday that uh, Hinch and the GM both both uh, got a year suspension, and then uh, they ended up being fired by the Astros? Do you feel from what you've seen that the penalty did it fit the crime, or do you kind of feel like maybe they got off easy? Well, I, you know, I think that's losing your job is a pretty stiff penalty, I would say. And, um, right. man, you know, the tough part is, like, people have been cheating in baseball since, you know, the dawn of the game. I mean, you think of, yeah. you know, Gaylord Perry and guys throwing spitballs and, you know, sign stealing is definitely not new. <laughs> but, you know, the, I think everybody's keeping, you know, with replay and technology and, and all this, you know, Man, it's just all these new wrinkles come along, and you got to keep pace with it when you think about you know what's what's allowable and what's not allowable, and that's a real challenge. Yeah, most definitely. Well, Coach, thanks so much for joining us, and thank you for all the loyal Max BP podcast listeners. We were joined by Coach Kevin Graber, the head baseball coach at Phillips Academy Andover in Andover, Massachusetts. Can't thank you enough, thanks, bro. enough Kevin. This has been so much fun, and one of my favorite things about baseball, again, is, is when you widen your circle and meet new baseball people. So, you know, Ross, you're in my circle of baseball people now. Thank you so much for that. Uh, yeah. I appreciate it. That's, that's an honor. Thanks, Coach, and best of luck this, this coming season, okay? Okay, good. Thanks again for everything.